0: On today's episode how safe is exercise while fasting with kira sutherland welcome to the run smarter podcast the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier stronger smarter runner if you're like me running is life but more often than not injuries disrupt this lifestyle and once you are injured you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I am a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. You have caught me in a very good mood. I've just been buzzing the last day or two. Um from a couple of things like a lot of good things have come of the podcast of late um just as we're speaking the in the all-time running podcast rankings we are number two in australia and we are in the top 10 in the u.s and sometimes we look at the charts and it's like trending which is like how many new listeners you get uh within a week i think but then there's the all-time ranking and we're climbing our way up number two in the in australia and top 10 in the u.s it's um Yeah, it's unreal. And just like in the last couple of days, like say yesterday, we had four or five new patrons sign up, which is amazing. Uh, We usually get about five per month and just got five in one day. So it's great confirmation for me for people just to recognize how important this mission is and loving the podcast. That's another thing I've had so many people reach out in the last couple of weeks saying, Loving the podcast absolutely is my number one favorite. And this is how it's benefited me and they tell me the benefits, how they've overcome injuries, how they're reaching marathon PBs. It just uh, yeah, leaves me buzzing. It just makes my day. So thanks to everyone who's reached out and most of all, thanks for listening. Oh, and another reason why I am buzzing is since I've put out the offer to uh, do these 20-minute free injury chats, I've had people book in and probably getting a couple per week just Having a chat saying that they're, they're going through certain pains and issues and I just love talking about injuries. I love helping people who are injured, finding out what their missing links are and just their reactions and gratitude when we have this chat just um, yeah, makes my day. Um, on a mission and you're, um, you signing up for these free injury chats is just helping me with my mission. So thanks again for that. Today we have our chat with Kira and I wanted to do a Facebook Live within the patron group. I've done a solo episode before, but haven't done a interview. And uh, my worst fears came true when we set it all up. I told the patrons, um, save, you, save the date for this day and time because we're doing an interview, and then it didn't work. Um, I now realize why. Um, for some reason, Zoom disconnected with the integration with Facebook, and now it's working again. But we couldn't do it. Uh, we just did the old traditional way. And then I just posted the video later on, but, um, yeah, I'll (laughs) learn for next time. I just fumble my way through these and hopefully it it comes out good on the other end, but in this instance, um, it didn't so better luck for me next time. However, Kira Sutherland is, um, a naturopath. Uh, she's also a sports nutrition and a sports nutritionist and, um, she is creating a holistic approach to optimizing performance. She has more than 25 years of clinical experience. She's also done um, some lecturing in the past, both nationally and internationally. And she was a previous um, department head of nutritional medicine um, up in Sydney. And so she is from the US, but has spent vast majority of her time in Sydney. And she was a blast to talk to. Um, we cover like what... Different types of fasting there are. We talk about what the benefits of fasting are, what are the consequences if you do it incorrectly, and what it means for running. Where When should we time it? What's a good um, dosage or, I guess, frequency to start fasting? And she just knew knew everything. She's well up to date with the research, and I couldn't think of a better person to have on. I know a lot of you are excited for this um, when you heard that it was coming out. I, I got a lot of comments saying, yes, I do fasting. I want to know Um, more about it and how it affects running. So let's take it away. Here is Kira. Oh, Before we get started, also, you might notice there's a new outro to the episode. I thought I'd keep things fresh and um, change things up every now and then. And I thought the outro is a bit outdated. So um, have a listen for that. Kira, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me.
0: <laughs> For those who aren't familiar with you, can you maybe just describe who you are and uh, what you do as a profession?
1: Sure. So I am a—I'm actually a naturopath as well as a sports nutritionist. So I kind of sit on both sides of that fence of alternative plus very sciencey postgrad sports nutrition. Um, and I work, yeah, I work seeing clients and I lecture at the university level. Um, or undergraduate level in sports nutrition and naturopathy.
0: Mm-hmm. I see,
1: I see probably 90% of my clients are athletes of any type, from oh my God, this year's crazy, from bobsledders to springboard divers to, you know, runners. But my big interest is endurance sports nutrition because I still crazily do, you know, ultra and ironmans and stuff like that. So I've I've got, you know, the love for the I think sports nutrition is so fun when you get to ultra endurance events because it becomes so intricate. So that's my big focus. And, and then weight loss, fasting, all that kind of stuff.
0: Great. Fantastic. Um, Before we delve into the questions I had planned today, I tried looking for quite a while for a guest to have on, on this topic. And usually if I have a, a topic in mind, it's easy to find a guest who's like, who's well aware of like the research and they're more than happy just to come onto the podcast. It's one thing that I love about this is the willingness for guests to come on and have a chat. Yep. I struggled so much to find a guest on talking about fasting and what it actually does. And oh. I was finding, trying to chat to people on Twitter, reaching out to a whole bunch of gurus that I follow on Twitter. Yeah, They kind of pointed me in a couple of directions. And then the people I reached out to pointed me in a couple of directions to other people and no one, I couldn't really find anyone for a couple That's of weeks. Do you, and um, do you know why does that make sense is there many I don't people know working why? on why
1: you know and there are some incredible researchers on fasting but then you you've also got the very technical scientific end of fasting and what they're looking at with cell death and replication you've got the people running the big weight loss industry researchers and book writers um I don't know why mm, you know okay. I, I think it's also an area where we don't we don't we have good information there is good research, but we're still extrapolating how to use the research in clinic whereas mm. I'm not the researcher I'm the clinical user of ideas around fasting, especially for athletes but also fasting in general my my actual introduction into natural medicine was at a fasting clinic in Europe thirty years ago, believe it or not that's another wow. story in itself so you know fasting's been around for I mean, they've been doing it forever. Every religion talks about fasting, but the Europeans were the gurus of fasting for years. You know, in the early 1900s, 1800s, and they've got different concepts on fasting, probably different to how people are thinking of intermittent fasting now. But so for me, I've always been involved in fasting on an application level.
0: Yeah, right. Maybe they, maybe like a nutritionist or a fasting dietitian or naturopath is just like one removed away from the circle that I'm usually involved in with it being running athletes, strength and conditioning, that sort of thing. But
1: um,
0: let's dive in. So for those who aren't familiar with fasting, um, how do you like to best describe it? And what are the different types of fasting that we might participate in?
1: Yeah. So there's all different types of fasting. (laughs) Um, There is complete fasting, which is called dry fasting, which I'm just going to say right now, I'm not a fan of, and I think it needs to be done under, I'm just not a fan of it. Point blank. Um, then there is, I mean, if you want the whole gamut, then there's water fasting where people are consuming nothing but water. Again, very extreme, should actually be done under supervised conditions in hospital where you're like lying down the whole time. That's my understanding of that. Although in popular media, there's been a lot of people doing crazy long water fasts and kind of promoting it, um, which makes me nervous. Um, um and then there's fasting of using you know whether it's considered fasting or not but there's people that are doing you know, juice fasting like green juice fasting and then we run into the whole fasted training so uh, undertaking exercise which is probably more what you've grabbed me to talk about but there's you know when do you train fasted when do you train low glycogen um should you be training fasted and then there's the whole gamut of intermittent fasting, which runs from, you know, pulling or tightening the window of when you eat, whether it's eating in a 12 hour window, eating a 10 an eight, a six, a four hour window, we, we tend to grab things and go more and more extreme, which I think is a little bit too much sometimes. But anyway, so there's that window fasting, or there's the fasting of things like the five two, where you're eating normally five days a week, and then you're doing very restricted calories, two days a week. Uh, There's other fasting called eat, eat fast to eat. I can't remember the names of it anymore, where you're fasting for a whole 24 hours, then you're eating and then you're fasting again. So there's, you know, we've taken fasting and, you know, created 80 different ways to do it. Uh, So, you know, have I missed one?
0: I don't know. (laughs) Um, I I think with the research that I've done or like the most, the types of fasting that come most to me is the intermittent fasting. I think yeah. is one of the the big ones. A yep. lot of people have listened to the podcast. have just finished their Ramadan um, cycle. Yes. I think it was like the early this month and yes. they were really interested about this sort of topic. Yes. Um, and then there was the um, calorie restricted fasting or something where you can eat throughout the day, which you mentioned, um, but they have to keep to a certain calorie or a certain type yeah. of, um, yeah, restricted type of eating. Yeah, um, like the
1: which... And yes, I'm sorry, I forgot the Ramadan because that is actually one of the biggest, most traditional styles of fasting. And there is incredible research on that. And the research I'm more up on is is the one that has to do with athletes. Yeah, oh, with great. Ramadan. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so... We're talking about not eating and not feeding our bodies, which sounds counterintuitive. If someone wants to perform or wants to be, um, you know, wants to try and produce energy or you know expel energy, what are the proposed benefits if we were to fast? uh, If we were to say do a standard like Ramadan or intermittent fasting, what are the? Was the science showing what are the proposed benefits?
1: So I would like to leave Ramadan for its own you know, Ramadan isn't, it's done for spiritual purposes. It's not really done for running specific or athlete specific. And to be clear, Ramadan is, um, they're fasting from sunrise until sunset. So there's nil by mouth. They're just only allowed to eat while it's not daylight. So they are eating and drinking plenty, but it's happening in the nighttime or early morning hours before sunrise. So Ramadan's a bit different.
0: Okay. Yeah. So let's talk about the, I guess the general, more conventional styles of fasting.
1: Okay. So, um, as it pertains to athletes, you want to,
0: yeah, just, oh, well, let's talk about if they're, if not necessarily for running, but runners who do fast, uh, what are the proposed benefits?
1: So the idea of is to give the body a break. You know, when we are not putting food into the body, we're not spiking our insulin levels. I mean, this can also go for weight loss, not just um, athletes. And, and so quote you're giving your pancreas a rest you could almost say that's probably not very scientific for me to say that but you're not producing you know every time we eat certain foods we're spiking insulin and and so it gives that body that break from insulin production we are you know not putting foods into our body that are potentially inflammatory or you know the the digestive process in general takes up a lot of energy and a lot of focus of the body so the idea of fasting is to give this body this break so it can go around and kind of clean itself up. It literally does, yeah, like a spring clean every time we give it at least four to five hours without eating, um, let alone giving it you know 12, 15 hours overnight if you're if you're doing intermittent fasting. So the body will actually, we now know scientifically, although people have been talking about this for well over 100, 150 years, when we're not eating, the body will go, and break down its old dead and dying cells to use those as fuel. So it's a way of, it's almost like being your own antioxidant or your, you know, it's this, yeah, it's a way to clean up your junk and get rid of it to use it as fuel while you're not actually putting fuel into the body. So that's one of the big ideas. That's why it's talked about so much for longevity or anti-aging. The longer we fast, Growth hormone also gets stimulated. Growth hormone can help us, you know, in a lot of different ways, especially in muscle building. So there's this, you know, uh, there's this information around going four to five hours without eating. You have a slight spike in your, your GH, which can be beneficial. And then we have, you know, for for racing and for sport, we have the idea that whether we're fasting like overnight or whether we're going out and doing fasted training. That has multiple benefits, although sometimes I think people grab onto that and then apply it every single day of their training life. And that's not where the research is actually sitting. Um, And so to train fasted is, especially like if you wake up in the morning and you train on empty, it's the idea that it will hormonally and chemically force your body into using your stores of fuel more quickly. So you will actually metabolically go into using more body fat on a, you know, if you continually do that, it teaches your body to quote fat adapt or fat adaptation. It'll, it'll start churning through your adipose t- t- tissue, hopefully a little bit quicker and more efficiently. And in the long run, hypothetically, you will, while staying in an aerobic level, like under your anaerobic threshold, you potentially are a more efficient fat burner. So it spares some of your glycogen burning. Now there's research on this, but you know, it's not like, it's not like you can survive only on your body fat, your body will, even in your aerobic, you know, level of exercise, your body is still quite dependent on also using carbs and glycogen. And I think people oversell the fat burning versus the fact that you still need, you know, glycogen and carbohydrates, but yeah, it, it metabolically makes you more attuned to be able to do that.
0: Yeah. Okay. When I first started learning about fasting, I was listening to podcasts. I think Dave Asprey was one of them yep. and he mentions about ketosis. And when it comes to fasting, there'll be a certain period where you fast, where your body kind of switches or slowly transitions into ketosis, which yep. um, to my understanding is when the body starts primarily using fat as an en- energy source, which is what yep. you were describing. Yeah. Um, Is, is that kind of the right information or is, is that a bit of a misconception?
1: It's not a misconception, but ketosis, you know, just fat adapting that training on empty and then choosing to eat afterwards, especially if you're eating a mixed meal of carbs and fats and protein, that's not doing ketosis, ketosis, you know, to put the body into um, nutritional ketosis, Um, You need to be eating a diet. I mean, fasting will put you into ketosis faster, but you, it takes, you know, a few days to up to a week of eating a very high fat diet, usually around 70 to 75% of your calorie intake is fats. And you have to keep your carbohydrate intake to around 5%. It's different for everybody. Um, And that is you know, if you do that over a couple of days, that will start to deplete, A, you're going to deplete your glycogen stores. And to explain it non-scientifically, the body starts panicking because it doesn't have sugar or carbs to burn as a fuel, especially in the brain, which the brain predominantly lives off of carbs. So the body then has to swap and go into a ketosis state where it burns fats as a fuel because you don't have any carbohydrates in the system. So you know, and about eight or nine years ago, that became a huge thing to do in sport and running. And again, putting yourself into a ketogenic state for a couple of weeks to a couple of months. And there were books on this by, you know, Volek and Finney are the two researchers that were really big on this or are big on this. And you, um, you then upregulate this fat adaptation, absolutely, by being in ketosis for that long. But a lot of times people don't talk about the fact that when you upregulate your fat burning, you do downregulate your carb burning. So you actually, um, I think it's the GLUT4 enzyme doesn't become as responsive. And if you need to do any training at your high end level of, you know, 80 to 100% of your max, you have actually downregulated your ability to burn carbohydrates. So if you have any sprinting, heavy weights, that actually becomes harder and it's down regulated how well you burn that fuel. And that's something people don't often talk about. So you do upregulate your ability below 60% of your max, but hopefully that's where your sport is because the minute you have to start sprinting, you're in all kinds of trouble.
0: Yeah. And if someone's listening and not too familiar with the difference between car burning and fat burning, I think it's worth discussing that. Um, From what I know, that if you utilize fats as an energy source at this sort of low intensity... Just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five-day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow exercise it's yep. a lot more abundant you're able to like utilize or there's just a lot more energy that can be converted yep. uh is it yep. is that kind of similar yeah.
1: yeah well if you think about it carbs have 4 calories per gram whereas fat has 9 calories per gram so it's you know very energy dense we can get a lot of fuel out of it we all have a lot more fat on our body as well you know our our carbohydrate or our glycogen stores that sit within our muscles and our liver are very limited. Whereas even a skinny person has pretty unlimited fat stores. And, you know, we could all walk from Sydney to Melbourne easily fueled on our fat stores. That's not, you know, you're not gonna feel great, but you're not gonna run out so of fuel. So it's, yeah, but but even when we are exercising, what, what I think a lot of people don't understand, even if you have done ketogenic or a low carb, high fat, fat adaption style diet, even when you are fat adapted, when you are exercising, you are still also burning a little bit of carbohydrate and glycogen. You and And if you look into the science of it, you know, once you've been going for about two hours, so say we're all running a marathon or at our, you know, around 60% of our max. So we're still in aerobic, not anaerobic. The average person would be burning 50% carb, 50% fat, once you hit what's known as your fat max, which takes about an hour and a half to two hours to get to your highest fat burning point. And if you are fat adapted, not if you're in ketogenic, because I don't actually know if I've seen the number crunching on that. But even if you're fat adapted, so that means your body's well trained to burn fats as a fuel, it's still you might be. It goes up by five, seven percent. I don't actually know the legal percentages academically, so I'm going to admit that. Um, but you know, you'll burn more fat and a little bit less carb. But it's not like it goes to seventy-five percent, twenty-five percent. You know, and I, I think people get that confused. Um, And just by being fit, just by doing consistent training day in, day out, weekend, especially doing aerobic running, biking, whatever, that teaches your body to be fat adapted as well. It metabolically, you're more hormonally responsive to training. And the the way I explain it to my clients is the body doesn't want to run out of glycogen. That's its fear, right? And so it has all these mechanisms to not run out of its core fuel. So the minute you start exercising for longer than a little bit, you know, 20 so minutes, the body's like, ah, you're going for a while. Brody, what are you doing? I better start. I better start finding other sources of fuel besides glycogen. And so it, it starts accessing your fat a lot more. And that goes up and up until we hit that fat max at about that one and a half, two hours. So your body is already smart. I, I sometimes think in biohacking, as we call it, and in all this, you know, intermittent fasting fat adaption, we we overestimate the benefit. It's it does, there's definitely benefits, but we underestimate how smart our body is. And it's already doing that.
0: Mm. Do you think it goes into this fear of um utilizing all this glycogen, because like you said, the brain, that's what the brain uses to function. And that's like one of our primary drivers is what we have to prioritize above all else.
1: Absolutely. And you know, there's theories in long distance events when we hit exhaustion or fatigue, is it actually that we're running low on glycogen or theoretically, is it what it is, what's called a central nervous system fatigue. And it's actually your brain trying to trick you into how tired you are so that you stop because it doesn't You know, there's theories around it, right? We don't actually know exactly why that hitting the wall and that fatigue comes in because it's not always just glycogen. But yeah, your brain, you know, if push comes to shove and you're too hot or too cold while you're exercising, you know, if your body gets too hot, it will make you pass out. It will make you black out so that you don't injure yourself and that you lie down so that it can survive. The brain is the thing that wants to keep going more than anything.
0: Okay. Um, you mentioned that a lot of people are a little bit confused around the percentage of carb to fat that they are burning. And it's just like a slight fluctuation rather than it being a huge shift into your predominant energy stores that you're utilizing. Is there any other misconceptions, common misconceptions that you hear when people talk about fasting and performance?
1: Uh, yes. Yes let me think of my list um look and I'm a fan of fasting and can I back up and one of the other major benefits of fasted training that we know from research over the last five years is that if you train fasted there is some adaptations that happens in the body with your muscles and with your strength and I'm not going to sound very scientific with it but Your body, there's new signaling pathways for muscle building and just your adaption of overall cardiovascular fitness that actually does occur when we fasted train or when we train with what's known as a low glycogen state, which would be waking up in the morning and training on empty. And there's research about how beneficial this training adaptation is. But the problem is people take, here's one of the things that bothers, not bothers me, but I see. People go, oh my God, that's great. I'm now going to train every session fasted. This is probably my least favorite thing that I see athletes do. They go, oh, there's good. A little bit's good. More must be better. And every single morning session they do fasted. Whereas the research is really looking at picking key training sessions that are recovery sessions. They're more junk sessions. They're not your high intensity, big strength sets or your hill repeats or your intervals. It, those are not the sessions to be doing fasted. It's your more slow recovery sessions where you get this great training adaptation and you and, um, get this benefit of teaching the body to be more fat adapted. So that's probably one of the things, because we do, we take this, oh, if a little bit's good, more must be better. Whereas, you know, a lot of exercise happens well above your anaerobic threshold, all your weights, all your hit training, all your sprints, And that is fueled predominantly by carbohydrates because you're in the anaerobic system, which is, it's only burning carbohydrates. And so you have all these people doing these sessions and they're struggling through and they're not feeling good or their form's getting messy by the end of it. And they're not finishing the session strong because they're low on fuel because they've done it fasted. And so one of my least favorite things is people doing every morning session fasted.
0: Okay. different, Different running sessions fasted.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like your long, slow Sunday run or whatever, you know, that, that one's great fasted or do the first hour of it fasted and then start fueling after that hour. But I work with a lot of triathletes as well and they're off, I'm hearing about these bike riders doing three hours fasted. And I'm like, you know, you've probably got a good benefit at an hour to an hour and a half. Why don't you actually be safe? Because your poor brain is probably not making good decisions of three hours of fasted training. And I don't want to be on the road riding next to someone who's been fasting for three hours because they're not making intelligent decisions. You know, that's where you have accidents and it gets messy. Yeah. I want to fall off my bike.
0: (laughs) So, so, um, the list of benefits that I have here. So one there's, it gives your digestive system and the rest of the body system, just time off from food and digesting and that it increases like signaling pathways, muscles, tendons, and just like the, the overall system. And it helps you better utilize your fat burning system. It helps it. So it trains uh,
1: your body just like a muscle.
0: Okay. Right. Um, And I guess this can speak true to me as well, because I, do fasting maybe three times per week. And I mainly do it for the digestive system. Um, Mm. I had had gut issues in the past and found that when I fast for more than 16, 18 hours or something like that, and do that a couple of times a week, my, my gut issues just like settle. And it seems like just that time away from food and not constantly digesting is really beneficial for me, but um the overall health benefits I wasn't too sure about, but I'm like, Hey, it feels good for me. Maybe I should continue doing it. Yeah. Um, And it speaks true for me as well, because I have had, uh, I guess, fasting errors in the past where I have had a long session, like a long bike session, or I remember one session where I fasted and then did a CrossFit workout and I felt sick. I felt like lightheaded and actually kind of ill. And so have now recognized, okay, if I have a big session, um, let's not do it on my fasting days, Um, but (laughs) anything else, any other like long, low intensity run, I'm totally fine with. Um, So that would speak true to everything that you've been saying.
1: Yeah. Can I bring up my other least favorite thing that people do Sure. is if they're training fasted, I I hear this people doing this and they um, like, if they're doing intermittent fasting and they're trying to only eat eight hours a day. So they're trying to do the tight window, They wake up they do their session fasted and then they continue to fast for a couple more hours before they eat and the sports nutritionist in me it breaks my heart (laughs) Mm -hmm. because when you exercise you get yourself metabolically so primed to create more glycogen from the food you eat and you, your body wants to repair itself after, you know, exercise is amazing for the body, but it is an assault on the body, right? We have stress hormones going up. We have cortisol going up. Cortisol suppresses the immune system, um, you know, and cortisol is catabolic. It breaks things down, it breaks down the muscles. And so when we finish training, the way to turn cortisol down is to eat. And if we continue to fast, cause people are going, oh, I'm getting these great fasting benefits you are continuing to be in a catabolic or breaking down state. Plus your insulin, your body becomes more sensitive to insulin right after training. It's like your insulin is almost like a superhero at that time. And it's going to take the food you eat and really get it to the right spot. So an insulin is anabolic, you know, it helps with the signaling and muscle building and getting food where it's supposed to be. So, you know, people talk about this eating window after exercise and does it exist? Does it not? And most of the research is looking at, you have this beautiful metabolic window where you're like, you know, your insulin's potent, your body's ready to make more glycogen. You have an enzyme called glycogen synthase that's been stimulated whose whole job it is to make more glycogen stored carbs. And if you don't eat within that one to two hour window but especially that one hour window, the same meal eaten two hours after training versus right after training will only make you half as much glycogen. And why would you rob your body? I mean, making glycogen means your body's not using the food you eat and turning it into body fat and you feel better the rest of the day as well. And so my heart always breaks when I hear about this fasted training and then continuing the fast, because you're adding to a suppression of the immune system. You're adding to potentially more muscle breakdown. And I don't know any athlete that wants to be sick and take time off training or that is trying to break down more muscle. Mm. I just don't. That's probably my least favorite thing about the IF fad or phenomenon going on at the moment.
0: It might be worth getting your opinion on this as well, because uh, last year I spoke to Christy Ashwanden, who has the book Good to Go, and she was looking at the research of this post-exercise nutrition window, Uh and I think was mainly talking about uh, protein, getting in protein, and a lot of times growing up and a lot of people hear this um, after a workout session getting in some protein a couple of hours after hits that window. And she was kind of saying the research doesn't necessarily support that. Um, Is that something different to what you're referring to?
1: I'm referring to all food.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay.
1: Eating. Yeah. People are obsessed with protein after training, but in reality, especially when we're trying to muscle build and hopefully I'm agreeing with what she said, your protein amount is more about how much protein you get in, in a 24 hour period. There actually isn't deep research around, oh my God, you got to jam in protein right after training, which everybody does. And then they forget about their carbs because in reality, when you're exercising, especially if you're doing any form of hit or strength training, you are using you're in your anaerobic system is only using carbohydrates. I mean, the, the aerobic system is always happening as well, but, And your anaerobic system is fueled by carbs. So your glycogen, you know, a heavyweight session uses well more than that wasn't very good English, but it uses more than 50% of your glycogen stores. You know, they can be really low. And the way to make more glycogen is to eat carbohydrates after training. And, you know, the professor I study under um, is um, always, always on about couching all your carbohydrate around your training, whether it's just before to help fuel the session to be stronger or getting the carb right after training. And yes, you can have protein as well at that time, but carb is actually king right after training and the protein can then come in one or two hour intervals after that. It's not to say not to have protein after training, but it's not... I don't let people just have protein after training because if you do that, your body's going to take some of that protein and turn it into glycogen anyway. So you might as well have some carbs because we all love carbs, but we restrict them.
0: You talked about the wide variety of different types of fasting and way people can go about it. Like how many, how wide the window is of eating and how frequently throughout the week. Do you have, for the runners who are listening to this, do you have a recommended dosage or frequency throughout the week um, to when they should be fasting?
1: Look, it really depends on what works for people and their schedule. If we're talking about intermittent fasting or IF where we have a tight eating window, I recommend people try, you know, just try it on themselves first. I would say for women, so, and this is, this is also becomes controversial because almost all the research on, on fasting is done on men oh. and even the big gurus that have the big websites and the researchers on fasting are starting to, you know, this is getting brought up a bit more, especially sports nutrition around, are we just looking at all this research on men and extrapolating it on women for just being a bit smaller? And there's a big hoo-ha on that in the last five years, which is awesome. Um, so... With women, So all those big researchers are now like, oh, we suggest all these tight windows, maybe not so. Maybe women should just be on a 12-hour fast, a 12-hour eating window, because women don't respond as favorably to fasting as men. And so that's what a lot of these big people are now saying. So with women, I suggest 14-10, like a 10-hour eating window at the strictest. And I don't let women do a tighter window than 10 it's the theory that we are more sensitive to cortisol because back in caveman days you know the guys are all off hunting and running after stuff and stuff's running after them and their body is used to a lot more higher cortisol and stress hormone running around whereas women are you know we were back at the caves or whatever finding our tubers and taking care of children and when we got super stressed it meant we were under attack or there was a famine And so high stress or high cortisol, theoretically, they're saying our body is more sensitive to it and it will put the brakes on weight loss more quickly than it would on a man. So they're saying these super tight windows for women hypothetically aren't great because it puts us in too high of a stress state. I, I, you know, long-term, I, I'm not saying pe- women can't do fasting or do, you know, three day fasts or, you know, other styles of fasting for like short periods of time. I think that's different, but I'm talking day in and day out. So women, I start them on a 12, 12 or 14 hour fast window, 10 hour eating window. And men, I would probably do, a, I, I would probably just start them at 14, 10. If they really want to go extreme, they can go 16, 8, but it's got to fit into your life on a daily basis. And one of the biggest things that I think is not being discussed often is our circadian rhythms. And our body, our body likes routine and regularity. And our, you know, we know we have a circadian rhythm for sleep, but our digestive system has circadian rhythms. Every organ of our body has its own. 24 hour cycle where it's busier resting. And from what I can tell from all the research I've read, the body likes to be fed at the same time every day. It, the body wants consistency, just like it wants to go to bed at the same time every day and wake up at the same time every day. Whereas leading er- erratic schedules is what leads to high insulin and weight gain and things like that. So whatever window people pick, pick it and stick to it. And I would say, try to do your breakfast at the same time every day and try to finish eating at the same time every day. And don't slide between two extremes during the week. Does that make sense?
0: I think it does. I think at least keeping in mind that the body uh, wants routine, so you don't have these rapid fluctuations. um, And even if you might have a, a day or two here and there where it is a bit disrupted, as long as you fall back to what the body's used yeah. to, then it can just yeah. fall back in rhythm.
1: Yeah. And, the, and so those are kind of the windows that I play with, with, with my clients. Um, if they want to do fasted training in the morning, they can. Although again, there's some researchers out there. Um, Stacy Sims, who's in New Zealand is really against women fasted training and there is starting to be some research on this and she's, She's taking information and, and also, you know, she's taking research and she's looking at, you know, how women respond. And she's suggesting again, cause we're so sensitive to this cortisol that women should be having a small snack before all training sessions rather than fasted training, because the body will just respond better. So with women, again, sometimes I play with, do you actually just have this tiny little snack before training and how much better do you feel or not? But I would let, I would let women fast to train twice a week. I don't, I wouldn't have a problem with that, but I don't really think we should be fasted training more than twice a week anyway, because most of us, our only goal isn't fat adaptation. Our goal is, you know, training adaptations and muscle building and you know cardiovascular health. But um, there was something else I was going to say there. You know, we also know the other thing around fasting is, and I had a big conversation with this with um, Grant Schofield, who's one of the researchers out of Auckland, who who's written the book. Um, uh, oh my gosh, I've just gone blank. Um, it's a fasting book. Uh, I've got it on my <laughs> shelf somewhere. He wrote What the Fat and What the Fast. Okay. And he's amazing. He'd be a great person to interview actually. Yeah. Um, and he's fascinating and he and I have had a big discussion once after I gave a lecture around you know because I was lecturing a little bit on this topic and then he's this big fasting researcher that came and sat in my lecture and I was like freaking out (laughs) (laughs) um, as you do and we had a good chat afterwards because theoretically and this is just me throwing out some Kira theory from research that I've read because really I'm a clinician I'm not a researcher let's get you know I'm I'm 25 years of clinical practice of watching what works and doesn't. And not only do we have like our digestive system has circadian rhythms, our insulin actually responds differently in a 24 hour cycle. And our insulin actually is more potent and works better. Or we produced, we we produce more insulin and it works better starting in the morning up until about 2 p.m. Because that's when we should be eating. And that's when our body is giving us a good amount of insulin to do its thing. Whereas the day progresses, the, your insulin production drops off and your insulin production massively drops off overnight because, you know, your pancreas is always has what's known as a basal amount of insulin being released, right? To keep our, you know, it's figuring out where our blood sugars is and it's trying to, it's trying to keep us alive but you do actually always have this little drip feed of insulin happening. But our drip feed goes down at night because otherwise we would wake up in the middle of the night starving. Um, And so our insulin works better from morning till about 2 p.m. And so with intermittent fasting, I question, and this is again, Kira theory, and I talked to Grant about this. Our digestion is stronger and our insulin works better until 2 p.m. So why, you know, most people do intermittent fasting where they try not to eat until like lunchtime and then they gorge themselves for the next six to seven hours. And I'm like, but that's actually not when our body is efficient at dealing with food. And if our body isn't as efficient dealing with food, that's when we're more likely to make body fat from the foods we eat. Whereas if we actually ate in the morning, I mean, say if it was even just, you know, nine or 10 or eight or whatever, and we ate our bigger meals, you know, the way people used to say, you know, eat, eat your bigger meals, to breakfast and lunch, would that be a more efficient way to intermittent fast? And I actually think it would, but I, I am putting that out there as more of a Kira theory based on digestive research that I've okay. read.
0: Could I maybe sum up a few things and say if sure. you agree with the, the summary? For sure. So for women, you're saying that maybe a good start is the 12, 12. So maybe go 12 hours right. without eating and yeah. maybe do that a couple of times a week and see how that goes. And yeah. for men, you might want to, you can extend that window a little bit more or extend yeah. the fasting a little yeah. bit more, start a couple of times a week, see how you are feeling, And maybe, um, time your low intensity runs at that, at the time that you are fasting, then yeah break your Perfect. fast at the end of that low intensity session.
1: Yes,
0: um <laughs> see yes. how you feel and please then eat. maybe try to if you are feeling good would you recommend maybe doing it a couple more times per week or maybe extending the the fasting window what what do you recommend?
1: Would, look, I'm if people want to do IF every day, you can do it. Like women could I think we would all benefit, male or female, doing a 12 12 You know, we eat way too often. We eat way too much. Whoever sold us snacking 5 million times a day in the 80s and 90s should be shot because our body actually doesn't need to be grazing constantly. There's actually research saying that's counterproductive to our digestive system. And again, we want, it's more longevity, more, you know, anti-cancer, even if you don't eat as frequently, you know, that's some of the big sale of, um, you know, IF. So, you know, three meals a day was actually really smart, but we've now added in a million snacks as well as three meals a day. And then our meals don't get any smaller, even though we're having snacks. So I would get say to everybody, if you're, try, if you're trying this for the first time, just try 12-12, try to shut off, you know, or if you're a guy, try fasting for 14 hours and eating for 10, but I would do it consistently every single day you know, those windows, because it's not so tight that it feels astronomically difficult. Stay to those for a couple of weeks and see how you go. That type of IF, God, you can do that forever. And we probably all should, you know, there's, there's research saying that we consume 30% of our daily calories after dinner.
0: Wow. jeez, yeah.
1: Because we consume really calorie dense fat you know you after dinner you don't go oh, I'm just going to have some carrot sticks you know I had we cake go, after
0: my dinner last night you have
1: cake you have ice cream you have cookies you have at my house it's chocolate right mm-hmm. and if i don't have chocolate then i go for seeds and nuts which are also super calorie dense so you know i challenge everybody in doing their 12 12 or 14 10 don't eat after dinner, like eat what you need and then let it go. Have a sweet, you know, herbal tea without honey. And if people just did that, oh my gosh, so much would change.
0: Yeah. I think the willpower to not eat um, is a struggle That's for so some great. people. I think of my mom, but um, I've started having like my fast during the week, my Wednesday fast. I actually have my Tuesday dinner at like four o'clock or five o'clock and then just don't eat, sleep. Yep wake up and then I can eat at maybe like nine o'clock or 10 o'clock or something the next day. And it feels very achievable once if I break it up that way, rather than my last meal being say 8.00 PM. And then I have to like wait until 12, one o'clock two o'clock the next day when I'm constantly thinking about food. Um, When it comes to the rules of kind of breaking your fast, some people say coffee's okay. Tea's okay. Water fine. Um, I think it, from what I know, it's whatever doesn't spike your insulin or something Correct. like that. What's What's in, what's out, what can we have?
1: Yeah. So there's a lot of controversy over this. True, okay. true fast purists would say anything but water breaks the fast. Um, from a realistic daily person point of view, I would say I'm more of the fan of if it doesn't contain calories, it's not going to break the fast um other people will say as long as it doesn't spike the insulin so there's theories of what will and won't break the fast you got those people doing you know fat black coffees or whatever bulletproof coffees and you know mct oils and cream and all this stuff because hypothetically high fat in some people won't spike insulin but if you're using like heavy cream we do know now some people are insulin sensitive to lactose and other people aren't. So I'm a fan of saying if you're gonna have, I would let someone do a black coffee, a black tea. There is no milk, no sugars, you know, the and no sugar substitutes either. There's there's questions of if the taste of sugar is gonna spike stuff or not. Um, so I'm more of a purist there, and I would say water black coffee and tea. And I pretty much say everything else is out because people are just trying to cheat the system. Basically. We're always trying to see what they can get
0: away with. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think we have covered almost all of the things that I wanted to plan. We did talk about the, uh, the potential harms or consequences. If you misuse this, Um, is there anything else that we might want to add or any cautions that people might want to take that we haven't discussed already?
1: Well, I mean, if you are a type two diabetic, a type one diabetic, or if you're pre-diabetic, you know, undertaking, or if you're on certain medications, you know, go see a doctor about this or go see a dietitian or nutritionist that knows what they're doing when it regards to fasting, you know, undertaking anything major should you, your health should be assessed. There's a lot of medications that people take in the morning that need to be taken with food. So whether you swap when you take that medication, uh, but don't take medications on an empty stomach, unless it's specifically like thyroid medication is actually taken on an empty stomach. But don't, don't mess with that because if you take medications on an empty stomach, sometimes you don't absorb them as well. So just be, you know, be cautious with that. Anything else, if you're doing it and it's not working, try something else. That would be my real thing because you meet all these, this especially happens with women, A husband and wife or, you know, girlfriend, boyfriend go off and they do IF together. (laughs) Like you get this all the time. And it's usually the female that then comes to see me for an appointment. And they're like, my partner and I have been doing intermittent fasting for four months. And my partner's lost 20 kilos and I've lost two. And they're like, so what's wrong with me? Why am I broken? And the women instantly go, it's my fault. And it's not it's that you metabolically are different. You know, we respond so differently as males and females and the style of IF they're obviously doing is not working for them metabolically, which would mean it's time to change and try something different. It's not that they're broken or not doing it tough enough. I think we tend to punish ourselves that way. So, and for guys as well, if it's not working, try a different style of IF. You know, I have other clients that we do an IF... Much like the five two, where you're eating normal calories five days a week, and then two days a week they do very low calories, like you you do five hundred or six hundred calories a day instead of two thousand or two thousand two hundred. And I have a lot of clients that that works well for. Often they just do a six one, so normal six times a week eating, and then one day a week they just go really low, and they typically do it in soups and smoothies and liquids, and they just kind of let go of eating. And um, and that's an interesting one that's not as publicized as much for people to try. But caveat, the day that you only have 500 calories, you do not train. That is your rest day. Please do not exercise on super low calorie days. It just puts the body into a panic. Yeah.
0: Okay. And the same can be said for like <clears throat> in more intense days, if you have more of an intense workout, make sure that we, Plan before. that around our week so that we have, um, yeah, our yeah. good carb intake at the right yes. time.
1: Yes, please. And you know, before a hit session, before you go to CrossFit or something, I'm talking half a banana, one to two dates, one piece of toast. I'm not talking about a massive meal of oats and berries. I'm talking give yourself a little hit of carb so that you feel awesome during your session. Your session's going to burn up all that carb and a bunch of body fat. Um, make yourself, you will feel, it's amazing when you swap people back out of fasted training for high intensity, they're like, I haven't enjoyed training so much in years because they've Mm. been cheating their body of feeling good.
0: Yeah, fantastic. There's so much to unpack there. I think I did, I've been fasting for so long and I was still a bit unsure of the benefits and I just knew it felt good for me, but not too sure why, apart from just giving my digestive system a break. but we covered so much, we covered so much um, misconceptions and how to actually use it and how to start. And if someone's still doing it, how to train their week or schedule their week for, to best suit them. So I want to thank you so much for sharing this knowledge and I searched high and I searched low and I found the right person. So I'm I'm really happy you've come on. If someone wants to learn more about you um, I have your Instagram. I have um, Uber health, which is your company. Do you want to talk about that?
1: Sure. Sure. So I, I'm just a sole trader, so it's just me and a few back-end helpful people. But um, on on all socials, uh, well, no, Instagram and Facebook, I'm UberHealth, one word. I'm just going to let people know, too, that's been my business name for 22 years, long before Uber came about. There you go. (laughs) Um, um, And my, if you put in UberHealth.com.au, it does flick to me, but my actual website is just KiraSutherland.com.au. Mm -hmm. and um and i'm there i you know what you know i have i actually have quite a few programs now i I do see clients one-to-one but i've created a lot of kind of self-start programs of you know learning how to take care of your you know you know eating for training eating for endurance i've got all kinds of you know stuff but there's also lots of links and there will be a link to your podcast so you can hear me talk about all kinds of different topics um yeah yeah, so that's that's where i'm at i live in sydney um but i you know i zoom with clients around the world and um and i yeah mainly work with athletes unreal athletes also means people trying to run their first half marathon don't yeah
0: which is most of the people who listen to this podcast almost all are just recreational runners so that it's right up your alley and And i will include all those show notes all those links in the show notes as well
1: Oh, awesome. Yeah. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you very much for coming on. This was a lot of fun.
1: Oh, thanks for having me. And fasting Uh is such a, it's such an interesting topic that again, to get your heads around it. And I, I think for me as well, I'm fascinated by it, but I've also tried it all. There's not a fast I haven't done to my body, including three weeks of proper juice fasting. I've gone hardcore. I've tried ketosis. I've tried it all because I won't I don't want to talk about anything if I don't understand it from my own physiological point of view.
0: Yeah, fantastic strategy. All right, thanks again. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks. And that concludes another Run Smarter lesson. I hope you walk away from this episode feeling empowered and proud to be a Run Smarter scholar. Because when I think of runners like you who are listening, I think of runners who recognize the power of knowledge, who don't just learn, but implement these lessons who are done with repeating the same injury cycle over and over again, who want to take an educated, active role in their rehab, who are looking for evidence-based, long-term solutions and will not accept problematic quick fixes. And last but not least, who serve a cause bigger than themselves and pass on the right information to other runners who need it. I look forward to bringing you another episode and helping you on your Run Smarter path.